0: There's something awesome about that song. It's something we all want, not just for our kids, for them to stay forever young. But there's certain values and principles we want our company to have, our friends to have, our family to value, right? In fact, that idea comes out of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, it gives us a really clear strategy on how to mentor, how to lead, how to parent, how to train people according to to their ark. It says in Proverbs 22 verse 8, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. There was a uh, mother who just returned from a conference and the conference was got female empowerment and had a lot of C-suite level folks there. She came home to talk to her daughter after the business trip and she said, honey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And her daughter thought for a moment and said, I want to be a nurse. Her mom said, well, well, that's fine, but you could be anything you want. You could be a CEO. You could own your own company. You could be a lawyer. You could be a surgeon. Her daughter's like, I can be anything I want? Mom's like, yes. Her daughter's like, then I want to be a horse. Not exactly what it had in mind, right? It's amazing how as a parent we have these ideas of what we want for our kids, and they're usually good things. But the Bible here is speaking about a way to train not just children, it applies to parenting, but how to train anyone, and how to mentor and develop people according to their arc. So today in our series, Shape, where we're setting up new patterns for family and business, let's look at three lessons of the ark that can apply to us as we're trying to shape and develop and persuade the people around us. Now the first one is to dedicate yourself to the ark. What do I mean by that? Dedicate yourself, and the word is really key here to understanding the word train. He says, train up a child in the way they should go, But don't just think of a child. Just think of anyone you influence. You're supposed to train them. And the word train is the Hebrew word chanach. Which is where we get the idea of Hanukkah. It's the root word. To Hanukkah yourself is to dedicate yourself to a way, a method, and a person. As a leader, as a persuader, as a parent... God wants you to dedicate or hanak yourself to knowing that person personally and to dedicating yourself to putting them on the proper way. Now, what does it mean when he says the way? Well, look at it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, the the word way here is very interesting because the way comes from an Arabic word that means according to their bent. We'll get into that in a moment. But also the idea comes from to developing a taste for something. It's the idea of a mouth in the Arabic uh, background to this word. Your mouth. What do you mean your mouth? Well, when mothers were trying to develop a taste for their children, they would put these sweet dates in their mouth, so they would develop a, a taste for the sweetness. The same idea here is, as a parent, as a leader. You're trying to develop a taste for your values. A taste for wisdom, not a taste for foolishness. The Bible uses the word way to say develop a a taste for the way of righteousness, not a taste for the way of wickedness, the way of envy, or the way of adultery. There is a way that seems right to you, but leads to destruction. So as a mentor, as a leader, we want to get to know the people we influence and dedicate ourselves to developing a taste for what matters in their life. That's the idea here, shanach. And the word way can refer to both the person or the path. In other words, when I follow a path or a way of righteousness, I become a person of righteousness. When I follow the path of gossip, I become a gossip. So it refers to both dedicating yourself to knowing the people you lead and influence intimately so that you can dedicate yourself to helping them developing a taste for what matters, the choices they make, so they can become the best version of themselves. Now there's a parable about this which I love. The parable you may have heard before, it's kind of well-traveled, but it's the story of a school. And in this school is an eagle, a squirrel, and a duck. And they're all required to take flying lessons, climbing lessons, and swimming lessons. Well, as you can imagine, the the eagle is amazing at flying class, but he doesn't do real well at swimming. The duck, on the other hand, my goodness, he is fantastic with those webbed feet at swimming, but try to climb a tree, oh my goodness, he ends up spending less and less time doing what he loves and is good at in swimming school because he's doing all that extra work in climbing school. And he can fly, but not like the eagle. Now the squirrel, he's got serious problems. And you see that squirrel at like a climbing class? Wow, boom, 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 boom. He's up and down the tree. You throw that same squirrel at swimming class. (laughs) He is spending all his extra time in swimming school. And don't get me started on how poorly he's doing at flying school. And the parable's idea here is something that in corporate America we refer to as leveraging your strengths. What if you dedicated yourself to the kids in your life? Your son and daughter are different. Your two sons are differently. Instead of making a squirrel learn how to fly or a duck learn how to climb, what would it look like to individually hanak ourselves to so know our employees? What motivates them? What's bothering them? What's going on in their personal life? That we know how to encourage and to affirm and to bring out the best of them Because we are dedicated to knowing them personally and leading and guiding them into the way of wisdom. How do we leverage the strengths of those who have been entrusted to us? That's the idea of being dedicated to the ark. Now what's the second aspect? Well, the second aspect of the ark is not just dedicating yourself to the ark, but learning how to adjust your parenting, adjust your leading, adjust your managing. You're going to adjust your arc, your approach, to your follower's arc. I'm going to adjust what I do to what the person I'm leading needs. That's why Christianity, from the Old Testament to the New, is a call to selflessness. I, as a leader, am here to serve you. I have my preferences, but I'm going to adjust my arc or my approach to what works best for you and how we can both serve the ultimate goal of God, uh, the company, or the values of our family. Now, how does he get at this here? It's very interesting. Train up a child. Dedicate yourself in a way— And here's where this idea comes from of the child or the follower's ark. This phrase, in the way, has two meanings in the Hebrew idiom. One is it's the mouth, right? I always talked about the mouth to develop a taste of. That you need to dedicate yourself to understanding the individual tastes and preferences or the ark. Think of a bow and arrow. The idea here in Hebrew is that certain bows are bent in a certain way. And when you understand your employees are bent or bowed in a certain way, you adjust your approach to them. Now, what, what do I mean by that? You might have somebody who really, really needs details to get their job done. Somebody else would drive them crazy, like, they like general principles they can apply. So one of them is bent in one direction toward details. The other is bent toward general principles. So it'd be easy for the two to just war at each other except to say, I need to adjust my approach to bring the best out of this person. I need to recognize their mouth or their taste for principles is how I get the best out of them. This person, I need more detailed assignments. So you as a leader engage in strategic leadership and adjust your approach and style to the people around you. That's what he's getting at here. So tramp a child in the way, the Derek, they are to go to their taste, to their bent, to the arc of how they were created. Now, that word way is used several times in the Bible to show that there's a distinction. There are different bends. There are different ways. There are different preferences of the people that we influence. In fact, later in Proverbs, he references this to talk about the way of a snake, right? Or the way of a ship. That's a different way. Or the way of a man with a woman. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, Solomon says. Yes, four things I just can't understand. Number one, the way of an eagle in the air. Wow. When I see an eagle in the air, like, soaring into the heavens. There's something about that that's magical. Something about that that's amazing. Look at how that thing flies. An eagle is designed with a certain way. A certain approach. And you don't train an eagle like you might train a duck. Second thing, though, is the way of a serpent on a rock. It's amazing how that thing slithers and moves. It's designed in a certain way. And if I want to get the best out of a snake, I don't train it like I train the eagle. The way of a ship in the midst of a sea, how it navigates itself and captures the wind... And the wind can blow in the same direction it's going because of how it captured it against the, the physics of the rudder. And he mentions the way of a man with a virgin. Of something mystical and magical about love and about making love and how God designed that. And you wouldn't apply one to the other, would you? No, you would adjust your approach with a snake and a ship and a bedroom. Each environment would require you to adjust your approach. That's the idea he's getting at. So how about for you? Have you been banging your head against the wall with an employee or your boss or a board member? Have you been banging your head into a circumstance where you've refused to adjust your approach and you're demanding that your kids change their approach? Might this be a call from God to change your arc to adjust to the other person's arc. I ran into this recently. I was talking to a friend who was very frustrated at his company. Now I know this person and he attends Horizon regularly and he loves deep relationships. In fact, he's so committed to deep relationships he likes going the extra mile for people. And his environment, the way to motivate him, he knows about himself is encouragement, affirmation, Respect, respect, and really measuring the quality of the service and the quality of the care he gives his employees. However, he's very, very frustrated at the current culture he's working in because that culture measures efficiency, how fast you get it done, how many, the quantity. And even if those are the matrix that are needed for the company, if you wanted to get that out of him, measuring that isn't the best way to get it out of him. It would be to affirm him, to catch him doing things right. You would need to adjust your approach as a boss to get the matrix as you want. You'd have to use a different measurement of what matters to get the same output. But that's not the kind of culture he's been in. And he's been so frustrated and so angry and ultimately decided to shift from a culture that measured efficiency to one that measured quality of care and customer satisfaction. So it's interesting as we try and develop matrixes, I could hear in my friend's voice their frustration that the culture didn't fit their true desire to work and to do great work, and they ultimately left the company. As we were talking, he told me a story. And it's a story of how incentives sometimes get backward. It's what historically is known as the cobra effect. The British Empire had a problem with cobras in India. So they want to get rid of all the cobras. So he's telling me this story to explain kind of what happened with his company. And it made so much sense. I had never heard of the cobra effect. They decided to pay people to kill cobras. Figuring they'll decrease the cobras in India and make it safer for folks by incentivizing the killing of deadly cobras. Well, sure enough, everybody's killing off these cobras and they bring them into the government who's paying them for all their cobras. Well, pretty soon some very entrepreneurial uh, folks in India realized, you know what? If we're getting paid for cobras, we should start raising cobras. So they start raising (laughs) bins of cobras. And all of a sudden, there's these little cobra petting stores all over India, and they would raise them, breed them, and then bring them to the government and get paid for each one of them. And so what was intended to incentivize less cobras ended up resulting in more cobras. Well, then the government decided to stop incentivizing the cobras. They said, no more money for cobras. So all of these pet stores serving cobras suddenly released all of their cobras into the wild, and the cobra population of India went skyrocketing. So that's the idea here, is that we need to be leaders and parents who try and tie into dedicating ourselves to know the people we serve and persuade and understand how to tap into the bend of the bow. their their internal motivators, because external motivators, while good and important, sometimes suffer from the cobra effect there's an old russian concept of this that there was a russian nail factory they decide to reward each employee for the amount of weight they produced in nails per hour and they found the nails got bigger so they changed the matrix and they decided to reward them based on the number of nails they produced each hour and the nails suddenly got smaller but ultimately what they wanted was good quality nails produced as efficiently as possible. How do we train into the internal motivators of the people we lead? And use externals when appropriate, because they are, but more use affirmation and use respect and use core values to really understand the people that we've been called to lead. All right, what's the third aspect? The third is as leaders, as parents, are we celebrating when you're on target to the ark? Is it always discipline, always bad, always you're not doing it? Are there there true measurements that we celebrate how we're getting to that place? People want to be celebrated. It's true as leaders, and it's embedded here in the text. Train up a child in the way he should go, according to their bend, dedicate yourself to them. And when they're old... This phrase, when they are old, it's a Hebrew idiom that means when they have hair on their chin. It's almost like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, you know, okay, Scoop. This idea that when they're old, they're not going to recover from your influence because you so knew them and so brought the best out of them that they're like, man, I know my dad really knew and understood me. I remember that boss who was able to tap into everything I had, and they saw in me something I couldn't even see in myself. It's the coach. It's the mentor. Have you ever had someone in you that you have still not yet recovered from in a good way? Because they knew you deep enough to bring out the best in you. And they could celebrate as you were becoming the man or woman you wanted to be. That's the idea here, is that we are celebrating the measurements. There are matrices, right? Every time you go into a doctor's office with your kids, your grandkids, right? What happens? They show you a two percentile, five percentile. You want to know where you stand up. You want to know, are we winning? Are we succeeding? Are we on track? That's important. But when they're old... How we, how we bring the best out of people is we celebrate by training to who they are, bending our approach to their approach, and being able to know that we want to bring something out of them they were designed for so that they're trained in the way and they know where they are in the matrix, in the environment, and in the business, and in the family that they belong to. They belong, and they are celebrated as we're growing them together. We had one of those uh, on the wall at our house. We had a ruler that my dad kind of posted up on the wall, and so we'd go up, and every year, you know, you'd measure where you are, where you're going. My sister had this long run that she didn't grow very much. And, of course, I was the older brother, and my brother was older than her, and we weren't the best brothers. What do I mean by that? I mean, we're always harassing my poor sister, she again her notch barely went up for like three years and she'd be like i stink at growing and as good brothers we said you sure do right we didn't weren't great brothers we didn't really celebrate well but the idea was everyone wants to know that they're growing that they're making progress but also some people progress slower or differently and the the hair on your lip moment is that somebody knew how to use the different seasons in life to bring the best out of you. So what is it we're celebrating? What is it we should be measuring as parents? What are the spiritual tools? What are the employing tools? What is a matrix that we should be using to celebrate the arc of development for people? Well, the rest of Proverbs 22 gives us categories of exactly what we should be celebrating. And measuring and training toward. The first is we need to train each other on how to work hard and find success. Right? The Bible is pro-work and pro-success. One of the things it wants us to do as parents is to teach our kids how to work hard and be the best successful version of the bend God's given them. Here's what it says in Proverbs 22. The rich rules over the poor. And it's not demonizing the rich. Our culture today does a lot of that. It's saying when you're successful, you actually have a lot more uh, opportunities. You have a lot more influence. You have a lot more options. So let's teach each other how to work hard to have influence, to have options, because the rich, those with money and influence, have opportunities that the poor don't. So let's teach people how to be successful. That's in verse 7. Then he goes on to say we need to teach people how to handle money and how to handle debt. No matter what age you are, no matter what department you're dealing with, people need to learn that their expenses can't be more than the income they have coming in. Right? Handling money. The borrower, this is chapter 22, verse 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. You need to be careful on how you handle debt. That's one of the things we train people in. Three, he who sows iniquity, wrongdoing will reap sorrow. There's a connection here between what you do and what you experience, right? This is what we might call consequences. We need to train our kids. We need to train our employees. He who makes the pain needs to feel the pain. There's consequences to your action. And when you train in that, no matter what your bend is, you need to realize there's a consequence, cause-effect relationship to life that you're going to have to wrestle with to live life successfully, right? Experiencing the consequences of our actions. And as our kids or as our employees are are working together, they learn best when they experience consequences of their actions. And we celebrate when people, wow, I learned a lot from that. That was really tough. I didn't like that. Not going to do that again. Next, learn how to manage your Anger, emotional, self-control, ability to be in a situation you don't like and handle it appropriately is something we need to be trained and be training in. The rod of the anger will fail. Blowing up, losing your temper, always thinking it's about you is not going to lead you to success. So again, think of these arcs. Are we training our kids in money? in success, in the the, the connection between action and reaction, cause and effect, and are we helping them know how to deal with their anger and their emotions when they face disappointment? That's what he's getting at here. Then lastly, in chapter 22, verse 9, he says, are we teaching those around us how to prioritize generosity and how to prioritize serving? He who has a generous eye will be blessed. You want to know how to be successful? i got to train you on how to have a generous eye. You're looking for ways to be generous to the people around you. Financially, you're looking at how to be generous with forgiveness, generous with compassion, generous with service. I want to serve people. He who gives of his bread to the poor will be blessed by God. So how do we train or celebrate the arc of becoming more self-controlled, becoming more successful, becoming wiser with how we handle our money? And what does it mean to do just that? Well, I think one of the things it means is that we need to think about this chanaking of ourselves as a call to relationship. The main thing this chapter of the Bible is about is Relationship. I'm going to adjust my approach to train others according to their arc because God did the same thing for me. See, the main message of the Bible is that God, who's in heaven, who's perfect, who's doing fine, thank you very much, adjusted his arc and trajectory to come to earth for us, right? And the main message of the Bible is he did that because we were bent out of shape, we did some things wrong, so he allowed himself to be bent onto a cross to die to pay for our wrongdoing, taking the pain upon himself so that then he could not only forgive us, but then lead us into the way. Jesus even referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to be your forgiver, but also your leader, your mentor, your CEO. And he led 12 men or his disciples, who were very, very different. One's a zealot, one's a pro-government guy, Matthew the tax collector, uh, some were really angry, the sons of thunder. And Jesus so got to know the ark of each one of the people God entrusted to him, he used 12 fishermen to turn the world upside down. What if you did the same? What if you and I began to train the people in our lives, to persuade them, to influence them, not according to what we want, but according to who they are, and to accomplish what would be best for them and for the family organization. What if that selfless feeling that because God did it for me, I want to do the same thing for you? I mean, think about those five stages. In your parenting, are you training your kids on parenting? To think about success, how to handle money and debt. Probably you're saying, "Yeah, that, those, of course, I'm doing that, Chad." How about how to handle their anger? How to appeal when they disagree with you in a respectful way? Are you prioritizing generosity and service? I mean, in one sense, that's what we're doing here at Horizon today, right? I'm challenging you to develop other people in their generosity and service. But I'd say the same thing to you. What does real generosity financially look like for you? What does it look like to give big? To look at everything God's entrusted to you and say, man, I want to learn to grow according to my bent financially, according to my success. How can I make the biggest impact in the world today? And I hope part of that is saying, well, I want to give... Uh, a, a big piece of my giving to Horizon because I believe in how we're investing in people. I believe in how Horizon's investing in me. So I hope Horizon is a big place that you give to, and serve to, that you're serving other people. In fact, maybe during this this COVID time, we're offering so many different types of services, online services, service on Sundays at 9:15 and 10:45 in the tent. Maybe God will prompt you to serve. In fact, many people are high risk, so we have needs for people to run cameras to be able to continue to offer our service. And you might raise your hand and say, I'd like to learn to do that if that's a way I can be of service. Others of you might say, no, but uh, if you have financial needs during this time, I'd love to be part of giving to that. I want to grow in my generosity. Others of you might say, you know what, uh, what's going on that's coming up next? And Starting next weekend on the 16th, the student ministry is going to start launching their services on Sundays at 9, 15, and 10, 45. Hey, I don't know who's coming back or who can serve. I'll raise my hand and be willing to jump in if that would be helpful. But what does it look like for you to grow into the best version of what God has for you, Right? That's what God's challenging us to do, to live selfless lives that are increasingly on curve to become who God wants us to be. I remember I had a mentor who was teaching me one time. I was doing my first budget proposal. It was a big purchase for the first company I worked for. And he said, Chad, and it was a nonprofit church, he said, you need to realize, you need to adjust the approach of your financial um, proposal to think through three lenses. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, some people think of the church as a cause. Are we making a difference, the cause? Some people think of it as community. What kind of relationships are going on here, and are those relationships growing? Another lens people see the church through is that of a corporation. Is this the best use of money? Could we have spent it in a better way? I said, okay, the three C's, community, cause, and corporation. He said, yes, and you're going to have board members, or bosses who think through those different lenses. So as I went to put this proposal together to buy this new video equipment you know, many, many years ago, I remember thinking through those three lenses, adjusting the arc of my proposal to the board. Here's how these tools will help us as the cause of our mission, comfortably connecting people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. Here's what that cause looks like, and this will advance the cause. Then I had another portion Here's the community this will involve. The volunteer teams that will develop on cameras. The ways in which we will be able to connect directly to people who travel a lot. We'll be able to connect with one another. There's a community aspect that this will offer. And here's the dollars and cents. Here's other projects we've looked at. Here's the best bang for the buck and why this project seems like the best tool for what we're doing. It was such helpful feedback from that mentor of mine to think about putting a budget proposal together to think about the people reading it might have a particular bent, a community bent, a corporate bent, a cause bent. How could I adjust my approach to those I was under authority under? So I hope this has been helpful today for you to think about your bent, your followers' bents, and what it looks like to live a life of service and generosity to others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible generosity to us. Thank you for your wise wisdom on how to live life and teach us how to be successful in everything we do as we follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen.